My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Clayton Windat. One of the many ways that settler colonialism has shaped life on this continent is by shaping how we are able to see and understand the world. Settler institutions have historically denied Indigenous people the power to push mainstream stories, images, art, and cultural production more broadly to reflect Indigenous understandings of themselves and of the world, while simultaneously working very hard to deny Indigenous people the space for making and circulating their own stories, images, art, and so on. This power over knowledge and narrative is part of how settler colonialism justifies and sustains itself, and challenging that power is crucial to broader efforts seeking decolonization. Clayton Windat is, in his own words, a Métis non-status Indian, and he lives in Sturgeon Falls in northern Ontario. He's the executive director of an organization called the Aboriginal Curatorial Collective, or ACC. Their members are indigenous curators and artists, generally those whose focus is contemporary art, from across Canada and to an extent in the United States. Their work helps to create space for art created and curated by indigenous people, and therefore for the understandings of the world that such art carries. In the dominant usage, curators are people who manage or oversee a collection or exhibition of art, often in the context of a museum or a gallery. Clayton understands the term more broadly to also include people who initiate and facilitate a wide range of artistic and cultural endeavors, including those that are very community-based. The ACC was founded in 2005 in response to a long-standing recognition that there are many mainstream institutions in Canada that have large collections of indigenous artifacts and art, but that have no indigenous people on their governing bodies, no indigenous staff, and inadequate policies and practices in place to ensure that they work with those collections in ways that respect the protocols of the nation on whose land they sit, and that reflect indigenous understandings of the artifacts and art in question. The collective was originally an entirely volunteer enterprise, but currently has three staff people. There are a number of different facets to their work. They facilitate community processes within Indigenous arts contexts. They have a training program for emerging Indigenous curators. They do one-on-one -on -one work with mainstream arts institutions, sometimes at the request of those institutions, sometimes in response to an incident or crisis. Their focus is pushing those institutions to involve more Indigenous people in governance or as staff, to build respectful relationships with local Indigenous communities, and to develop appropriate policies around curating Indigenous art. And they also intervene in the broader arts policy context in the country, both behind the scenes as part of consultative processes and in more public ways. All of this they do to build space for Indigenous artists and curators, and thereby for Indigenous ways of seeing and knowing and representing the world. 
Clayton speaks with me about the Aboriginal Curatorial Collective and its work in the context of the arts sector in Canada. My name is Clayton Windat, and I'm the Executive Director of the Aboriginal Curatorial Collective. I am a Métis, non-status Indian, multi-artist, filmmaker, curator, writer, living and working in Sturgeon Falls, Ontario, which is Nipissing First Nations territory. The Aboriginal Curatorial Collective is one of the few art service organizations in North America dedicated to Indigenous curators and artists, and we've been around for more than 10 years now. My arts practice is always focused on messages that I want to say and how I'm either tackling an issue or responding to an issue. And then the actual practice itself, like whether it's a community-driven process or whether I'm going to write a paper, that's sort of just the method of approaching the subject. I tend to be a person that tries to ignite thought within the public or change people's opinions or even just provoke a response as the content of my arts practice. The Aboriginal Curatorial Collective has always predominantly revolved around contemporary art practices, although it has a deep-seated connection to many different Indigenous cultures and the roots that come from all those different places. I got attracted to being involved with the ACC years ago, which started with volunteering and helping with their newsletter. And following that, I ended up volunteering and getting on the board of directors for a few years. And then I ended up shifting out of the board and applying for the job that I now have. And I've been working as executive director for the past two years. It's a big shift working towards better structure for Indigenous inclusion, the hiring of Indigenous curators better ways of conducting shared governance within, you know, um, non-Indigenous institutions, but also encouraging Indigenous curators and Indigenous artists to have stronger platforms to stand on. Like, it's a big shift when you start doing it organizationally instead of as an independent artist. The term curator comes from Latin, you know, curare, which is to sort of like manage and to oversee a collection. The term curator that I use is a modified version. It's a little bit looser than the idea of a museum curator. And there's a lot of current debate over these roles. So there are museum curators that are Indigenous people that are members of the ACC. But at the same time, a large part of what I look at for curation is the initiator of a project, the rallying point behind an idea, the person that is attempting to create you know, like a, a shared process. So in some ways, it could be a programmer, it could be like an artistic director. So contemporary arts curators are people that initiate a project, they bring artists with them into a conversation. They're often responsible for the management of the arts project. So if it's an exhibition, ensuring that all of the aspects of the project are going successfully, potentially writing like a curatorial paper to go along with the exhibition and being kind of like the glue that holds the whole project together. So they take on roles of coordination, of writing. At times, curators can be involved in the project as well, which becomes more of an artist-curator role, which is something that also is debated about because a lot of artists feel that they have that role in the project, even though they're not being called a curator. And then there are curators that are starting to abandon the terminology of curator and say that they're a facilitator or a programmer 
And the reason for that is that they want the context of what they're doing to be looked at differently than the previous expectation of being within a museum or managing a collection of artwork or artifacts. So I know you weren't involved in the ACC back then, but tell me what you know, at least, about the founding of the organization. There were people that were involved founding the organization, and a lot of them had been in the room when non-Indigenous museum curators or major institutional representatives would talk about the needs of the Indigenous art sector. And it was always being talked about Like, so everything about us was being discussed by people that had no connection to any Indigenous heritage of any kind. So it was always this othering that was happening. And there was a push in 2005 to have that shift. So it's really in response to the frameworks a little bit more than 10 years ago that were in place. And going back much further, obviously, because, you know, there's been papers published over the last 25, 30 years that address the fact that there are these major Aboriginal art collections or artifact collections within galleries and museums across North America that have no one working within the spaces of those cultures addressing them. So it's always almost like from an anthropological stance. It's not looking at it in connection to self or in relation to the needs of the community that that represents. So it's deeply rooted in advocating for better rights-based policies and better relationships, but also in the creation of these indigenous curatorial positions and pushing that, you know, if you're going to have an institution that is a, a giant entity that has hundreds and hundreds of jobs and publicly a massive part of what you do is promote and present indigenous art, that you should have an Indigenous staff person working there doing this. That just seems like a natural conclusion that, you know, if you're going to attempt to represent a cultural group publicly, that, you know, you should at least have some attempts being made to have your staffing represent that cultural group. In 2005, there was a a series of meetings that took place, including a rallying point that took place in Ottawa. And that came to the formation of some terms of reference, which led to incorporating this collective. It operated in a volunteer-only capacity for a long time. It hired its first staff, I believe it wasn't until 2011, although it had hired temporary coordinators for different conferences and events because up until that time, roughly, most of the funding that it would receive from the government to do any kind of activity would be temporary-based, so project-based. With the hiring of that staff, there was shifts that took place between, you know, having to run it all of ourselves and negotiating who's going to volunteer their time to do this, you know, like to help the cause. There's been a few different people that have worked with the organization. And over time, it shifted from being entirely volunteer run to having its staff run. Right now, we have a little bit of operational dollars from the Ontario Arts Council, and we're currently waiting to find out if we would get an operating grant from the Canada Council, which would be the first time we would have dedicated federal resources to us ever. I know it's like money-focused is where the conversation went, but in the end, in Canada, without resources, there's only so much you can do. I can't dedicate the time that I dedicate to the ACC without it being a job. I would still be able to contribute, but you know, we all have bills to pay, and you can't pay your bills with activism. <laughs> and give listeners an overview of the work of the ACC. Today, we have myself working full-time, Camila Rive working full-time in Quebec, because we have a province-wide project in Quebec based out of Montreal working for the next two years. 
and Jacob Dayfox, who is a communications outreach coordinator, who is on a temporary contract through the Ontario government. My time within this currently is spent between conducting events that tackle issues that are very specific to the needs of the Indigenous curatorial sector. Those are gatherings or public discussions. At times, they're exhibitions because providing the framework for a healthy way that an Indigenous curator can work within a non-Indigenous organization. So in other words, like creating a sample of what could take place is an effective way to have that continue and happen more ongoing. And then in addition to that, there are some programs such as the Indigenous Emerging Curatorial Training Program, which we've just finished our second year of doing, which is a program that takes Indigenous students who are in between years of college or university and employs them for the summer to pursue their own independent projects with an Indigenous curator as a mentor. And that gives them hopefully more job skills and job ability to, once they graduate, actually enter into the workforce. So the idea being that we've now started shifting from advocating to also pulling the next generation up into the world we're in. And then a massive part of all of this is the ongoing discussions that take place within individual institutions or within larger overarching environments. So on a one-on-one basis with different institutions, there will be conversations about either partnerships or that I'm addressing a specific problem that has been identified. If it's a partnership, it's usually initiated by the organization itself, reaching out, looking at how a better framework can be built within their organization to achieve having a healthy relationship with an Indigenous curator or with an Indigenous community. At those moments, we often take a look at everything that's happening and make recommendations most of the time beyond what they're hoping we would. So, you know, if uh, an institution is saying, well, we want to run an Indigenous program, one of the first things I'll say is, do you have Indigenous board members? What's your connection to the regional Indigenous population? Do you have a buy-in and an understanding of the regional protocols that the community or the territory that you're living with or beside is expecting from you? And just start putting a little bit of checks and balances in place to be like, you know, I hope you're not thinking that contacting me halfway across the country from you is the best way of addressing indigeneity. You know, you might have people in your own region that are better suited, and I don't mind helping with that process to get that going. And then when it's the other side where something has been brought to our attention as a problem, it becomes a little bit more advocacy driven and we will point out what has taken place and try to direct energy to fixing those issues or let's say relieving the tension between communities. And then if that doesn't go well, we push harder. (laughs) And then I think that that's a similar way of doing things when you talk about engaging in the overall arts environment of Canada or the world. When you put a ton of officials into a room and there's a couple hundred people there and they're talking about the overarching, this is what should be happening, that's when the Aboriginal Curatorial Collective tries to make assertions of the expectations of what these groups should be doing in relation to Indigenous art and Indigenous curators. So I recognize that it probably varies a great deal, but give listeners a sense at least of the kinds of differences that they might see between curatorial practices in museums and galleries in mainstream contexts versus the kinds of curatorial practices that the ACC advocates for. The context of who is involved is never avoidable. 
there's obviously going to be a giant range of different curatorial methodologies that are completely unique to the individual doing them, whether that's an Indigenous person or a non-Indigenous person. There are people that have gone through different programs and therefore maybe they're more in line with the expectations of what that program has taught. So the major things that I think about is how it's viewed and how the context of the person involved changes how it's viewed, whether that's the intent of the person or not. That's just the start. But it's like saying, you know, when you go back further or even in some places today, I don't want to act like this is automatic. It's that context of having a non-Indigenous person speaking about Indigenous culture as if it's, you know, from far ago or that it's rooted in million-year-old traditions, but in a way where the people themselves couldn't be standing there listening to that person talk. You know, like the real separation between the people that they're talking about being actual human beings that are in the next room or a fairy tale. And that, I think, is a shift. You don't hear non-Indigenous people saying that as much as they used to, which is great. And it's just a respect thing. But then we go to the Indigenous context side where, as an Indigenous person who grows up understanding all of the complex issues of, you know, the 60s scoop or residential schools or, you know, colonization or whatever it is, like everything, like this giant history, and you walk into that space, you know, people start fact-checking in their heads immediately because they want to know the context of what they're looking at. So for Indigenous people seeing non-Indigenous curators curating their work, there's a bit of a dismissal that takes place because of the fact that it's just happened so much and there's this big overarching relationship context that just is carried with it. So there's a shift that is happening about, you know, nothing about us without us. And the reason why people are saying that is that it's about having control. Maybe I'll talk a bit about the difference between indigenizing something and decolonizing something, because I think that that also is a big difference between curatorial methodologies. Clayton went on to describe how indigenizing literally means making something indigenous. In the context of an organization, this has to mean that the people who comprise the organization are indigenous people. And then decolonizing something is the act of unraveling what colonization has done. It's unique to every instance, but at the same time, it's not making something more native by decolonizing it. It's making something less colonized. So what does that mean? Well, I think it's different to everybody. It's challenging the preconceived notions that came with colonization. So in Canada, and specifically within curatorial practices, it's looking at the preconceived idea of an exhibition space or a gallery or a museum comes from the European models of those things. So let's challenge that a little bit and talk about, you know, well, we don't have to do things that way. We don't have to address the spaces that way. We don't have to have the exhibitions presented in that same manner. We can do things our own way. And that's in some ways an act of decolonizing something. And in some instances, it could be that they're the same. It could be that there's a group of Native people that are challenging those frameworks and therefore making them more relatable to a specific Indigenous culture, which is indigenizing that practice at the same time as decolonizing it. But it's always different because it's always about in relation to the people involved. So, you know, just as a group of people from one Indigenous territory wouldn't lay claim to coming up with the way of doing Indigenous curatorial practices, because you can only represent yourself, they can't represent all the Indigenous cultures. 
Who's involved in the ACC? There are Aboriginal Curatorial Collective members across Canada, into the United States, and in a few instances around the world. It's interesting when you think about territory and land mass, when you're thinking about governments and then indigenous territories, because there are communities that sprawl countries and therefore their territories or their boundaries are not the same as the government-led ones that, say, Canada would have. The Aboriginal Curatorial Collective currently has board members that are based out of Vancouver, Halifax, Montreal, Toronto, Brandon, Manitoba, Lethbridge, Alberta, and we have one board member who is in Melbourne, Australia. Our board meetings are obviously over the phone for the most part or with a conference call or with Skype because there's pretty big time differences between all these different areas and we do not have the resources to bring everyone face-to-face on an ongoing basis. And then when you think about the majority of the membership, because we're talking about people with contemporary arts practices or curatorial practices, a lot of them reside within major urban centers. So the organization itself tends to pull in indigenous artists and curators that are active within the contemporary art circle. And I think the reasons for that is that those are the people that are most likely to have an understanding of what the environment is, and that understanding the environment leads to how can we make that environment better. What kinds of changes do you think are necessary in big picture arts policy in this country in order to truly start to decolonize the arts? I guess I'd really love to talk about a few examples that are really ones that can be followed. I look at the Canada Council for the Arts and their new creating, knowing, and sharing department and the language use that that department and the department head Steve Loft have used about Indigenous-controlled projects specifically and the idea of what the benefits of having an Indigenous-led project do for the community and for the project itself. And in that, you can see very clearly that the person who is in control of initiating the project and taking it forward have to prove that, you know, they have Indigenous heritage, but at the same time, they're not restricted to only working with Indigenous people. So the control shifts to being an Indigenous-led action, whether it's through governance, management, implementation, dissemination. But that shift doesn't mean that the benefits of the project are exclusive to Indigenous people. It's just shifting control. And the reason why I bring that up is that I feel there are other examples, but I would love to see that same methodology that the Canada Council is pushing forward start to take place more readily within other sectors, say like other government branches, whether it's provincial or federal across the country, or even departments like Canadian Heritage, let's say. So then I think about other examples, such as in Australia, they have different methods for film creation. A lot of this is hinging on the definition of terminology, like, uh, you know, what in Canada is the definition of Indigenous art or Aboriginal art or Native art. And without a definition, it's hard to know where the resources are going to go. It's similar to like on a federal level, we hear the Canadian government saying the context of nation to nation. And we've heard the prime minister say that a few times, but there's no legal definition to what that statement is making. And without that, there's no accountability to hold government responsible for what they're saying in that way. So going back to Australia and filmmaking, they've put uh, an Indigenous oversight board in place for film. 
anyone can make a film about indigenous subject matters, indigenous content. And that kind of startles me when I hear that. But then you go further and you say, but you have to go through this regulatory body that makes sure you're doing it properly so that, you know, there's no miscommunication or that regional cultural protocols are being followed. And then you have to prove at the end that 51% of the project is owned by the indigenous community. So, you know, you can make this work, you can profit off of this, but you can't profit more than them and you can't have full control. It's this idea that there's ways to do this and it's kind of put into that play. I say this because it's like in Canada, we have a lot of the negotiations still taking place. So who gets to do what, when, who should say this? And, you know, I've, I've sat in those meetings and in those rooms where government comes forward saying, well, what's the indigenous sector's view of this? And we're all volunteering our time to give feedback to the Canadian government about a program that then when it's all done, they're just going to come up with whatever they want, or maybe it'll reflect what we said, hopefully if the right people are there and they care, but they're not bound into anything and the terms of engagement are still very gray. And again, this is only specifically in regards to Indigenous culture and the way that Indigenous culture is represented to the public. So there's a lot of work happening behind the scenes, which is great. But because it's behind the scenes, there is this feeling that if I don't get something in writing, then where's the proof that anything is ever going to actually happen? So the ACC at times doesn't go straight to the public or doesn't go straight to the media with anything because we're always optimistic that we're going to be able to get someone to do the right thing. But at times, we'll have to publish something about policy saying, you know, hey, are you aware that this needs to be happening in this way? And usually when that takes place, it's because things haven't been progressing behind the scenes. And there needs to be some public accountability on, you know, either administrators or bureaucrats or government employees or whoever. It's a big path we walk, having to both be the potential group to support policy or protocol development within government or within these institutions, but then also be the group that holds them possibly publicly accountable. And then we're talking again about volunteers and a couple staff people. <laughs> what does the ACC have coming up? We have a project that is currently underway called the Jojage Project. The overall project is about creating a series of activation points, some residencies to bring Indigenous curators in, and to form an Indigenous curatorial delegation from outside the region to bring more Indigenous curators from other territories in Canada to Quebec to start opening communication pathways between the country and the province of Quebec more. In addition to that project, we are currently in development and will be releasing the Save the Date for our national gathering of Indigenous artists and curators, which is scheduled to take place in mid-October of 2018 in Halifax. We're hoping that the outcomes are going to be that by presenting a high volume of activation and potentially information points about you know, how this can work and how it can happen, meeting with government officials in the development of that, that those frameworks that start to happen will continue after we're gone. So the idea that Indigenous-led projects are a reality and can happen. You have been listening to my interview with Clayton Windat, the Executive Director of the Aboriginal Curatorial Collective. To learn more about their work, go to acc-cca.com. That's acc-cca.com.
To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.